Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, I've, well, I've gone solo. I'm going to do a review of the new Doc and Legacy release, The Lost Songs, 1978-1981, which was released on August the 28th via Silver Lining Music. You know, I've been a Dawkins fan for a very long time now, admittedly primarily of the core lineup of the 1980s, but I have continued to buy the band's albums since. I've always been a fan of Don's, you know, melodic metal, and, you know, obviously the the fretboard work of George Lynch, and you'd be remiss not to comment on the powerhouse backbeat of Jeff Pilsen and the now-retired wild man, Mick Brown. So... I know Don's worked with a bunch of quality guitarists over the years, and it would be also remiss not to mention a certain bass player, Juan, who went on, obviously, to play in Rat, or with Rat, and become a core part of that band. But I'll also admit that over the last decade, or the past decade, the release that I've enjoyed the most from Dokken was the From Conception to Live, live album. And you know what, I don't give a toss whether it was 81 or 83. Um, that it was recorded because it's a really good representation of the young band live in concert, kicking ass with, uh, you know, obviously additional unreleased material. So what are the lost songs? Where does that title come from? It doesn't make any sense. Well, is this album a potpourri of hidden gems or a hodgepodge with some hidden gems, depending on your perspective? I guess we should say, for collectors who've owned Back in the Streets, which was of course a bootleg and not an official Dawkins album, it's useful to note that six songs on Lost Songs out of the 11 are sourced from that um, bootleg. I get it. Don never got paid for those tapes getting stolen and released as a bootleg or grave release or whatever you want to call it, whatever the actual situation is. Um, so putting them on an album makes sense. And to a certain extent, it finally legitimizes them. So, in my opinion, if you've ever had a copy of Back on the Streets, burned it from YouTube or downloaded it as a torrent or whatever, you should ethically at least buy this album so that one of the artists involved in those songs for their creation gets paid. All right, that's enough preaching. That said, I, I had really hoped that there was going to be a slight sound improvement on those tracks that came from Back in the Streets. But there's really not. It's not terrible still. They are what they are. Um, They're certainly not bad, and to a certain extent, the sound quality of that sort of material certainly adds to the authenticity of the material. Now, that's a very, very subjective thing when you get into talking about sound quality on archival releases. Some people really do prefer a full studio sounding demo sometimes not remembering or understanding that a demo might be just a boombox with a microphone capturing a band, that it's not always a four track, two track even, you know, 8, 16, 24, whatever they're up to these days. You know, not all bands go into a studio and cut fully fledged multi-track demos. It's just not economically um, doable then, though these days with Pro Tools and Electronic Tools it does become, you know, easier. So from that perspective, it's always important to take that into account when listening to an album of this type. 
And I think as we go through the songs, I'll mention some of the differences in the audio or the fidelity um, so that we can just have a, a little bit of a comparison with how the material has been approached. Today for this review, which is supposed to be quick, but who knows how long it's actually going to go, I'm not going to go sequentially on my track-by-track -track comments, but I am going to start at the beginning of sorts with Broken Heart, track 9 on the album. Uh, this was originally released in 1979 as the B-side to Don's first single, Hard Rock Woman. It was released independently on Hard Records of LA. The liner notes for that single, one that I've never been able to obtain a copy of in acceptable condition for myself with the sleeve, note that the lineup was Don on vocals, Rusty Allen bass, Bill Lorden on drums, though Steve Barry and Greg Packer were credited on the backside of that sheet, respectively. Um, whether it's accurate, I don't know. Apologies if not, but obviously Don Dawkin played on it, and that's the key. That single was uh, produced by Drake Levin. I think he was Paul Revere and the Raiders, so it's not surprising that only this B-side is included because Hard Rock Woman, the A-side song, was co-written with Drake, so who knows if there's politics, money, or other issues that precluded it being in included on this. I, I don't think it matters. As a completist, I would love to have had it on there, it would have been nice. That said, Broken Heart, for me, is the better song from that single, and a better illustration of Dawkin, or Don Dawkin, circa 1979. That's not to say that Hard Rock, Hard Rock Woman isn't a good song, it's just a matter of taste. I think Broken Heart has great tempo, illustrates some of the vocal styles that became Don's signature in the years to come, and I'm particularly fond of the guitar solo and underlying bass line. You know, you have to listen to it yourself, but that's the kind of quirk and performance that, you know, just really get me in this genre. My criticism for this one, and it's good to mention this particular track, um, straight out of the gate, is the mastering. It's absolutely brutally brick-walled on one channel on the iTunes version that I downloaded. I haven't compared yet with the Amazon one. I'm just gonna buy the Amazon CD and got the download but I uh, haven't gotten around to comparing that to see if I have an error, which is of course possible. But one channel is brick-walled. I mean, it's nearly solid wave file when looking at it. It's unlistenable compared to the version that I had previously and is unnecessarily abusive. Again, that's my opinion. And I think legacy releases, the Sonic should be left well alone. The mastering should be done authentic with the air from which they came because everyone has a volume button on their listening device. So don't clip the freaking frequencies and compress the audio, raping it of all its character. Just stop the loudness wars, it's over. The consumer lost the loudness wars. It didn't do anything for the artists either. When you look at some of the releases over the past decade, that just become louder and louder and louder and just ruined the listening experience. I won't name names. Most people will know who they are. but. You gotta give the listener EQ to work with so that we can adjust for ourselves, for our personal tastes. When it's brickwalled, there's nothing we can do. But again, that criticism does not apply to every track on this album. And again, I do want to compare with the Amazon Digital and also the Japanese CD, which I'm still waiting to arrive. Okay, now pontification over. Let's get back to the beginning of this album and the song Step Into the Light. This was first issued as the first single from the album in late May. Uh, it was fantastic then, 
and the video is absolutely glorious. You have to go onto YouTube and check out the video. A lot of work's been obviously put into making an entertaining video for the song, but one that's chock full of pictures from the early era of Dawkin for you, to, for you to enjoy. And, you know, as a fan of that era, just sitting there watching it, listening to a really good song in the background, is everything that a video should be this day and age, since you're not going to get to see it on MTV or VH1 or even Axis, I guess. I don't know what else still exists. So check it out. It's really good. The song itself, though, um, it has an odd feel about it. The sound quality is exceptional. The drums are crisp, uh, well-balanced. The guitars are ve mixed very nicely in the front, based suitably where it should be. Don's vocal, you know, definitely feels more recent, and so it's probably one of the tracks that have been revisited. I don't have a problem with that. It's the lower register than it should be is a little bit uncomfortable, but obviously an artist's voice changes over the decades, and there's nothing that you can do about it. But it does feel like the song and its vocal performance, there are some missing howls that maybe would have been on an original version, um, demoed way back when that just aren't realistic for him to be doing these days. So that, that's one slight thing that detracts from an otherwise fantastic song. And let me make it clear, you know, that's still a really, really good song, regardless of what could have been lost in the retranslation of the song. I think the liner notes that I've been able to determine suggest that it was written for the first album in 1981 along with no answer but weren't used at the time and that would have been when they were rehearsing um, in Germany and I think a basement with mold. So that leads us on to the next song I want to talk about, No Answer. Sonically this one sounds outstanding but again it's modern rather than a 1981 mold affected version of Don and if it's again if it's one that's been revived with John Levin and BJ Zampa I'm okay with it. It's almost a Van Halen-like, different kind of truth idea of revisiting material from the archive and staying pretty true to the original arrangement of it. I guess if multi-tracks for these were available, I would have preferred Don's original guitar and vocal to be preserved, and then if he really felt the need to replace the other players from that, um, then to do so with his modern you know, session musicians or bandmates or whomever he wished to have perform those songs. That to me would have been a, a better blend of old and new in order to update the sonic qualities of the songs while remaining authentic to the original with 1981 Don versus 2000 and whatever, teen Don. And again, no insult to Don. Recognize that a voice changes over the decades, especially when you sing in the style that he does. There was a lyric video for No Answer that came out in late July. Again, great way for you to you know, hear the song if you're not familiar with it. And obviously now that the album has been released, these are all up for streaming on places like Spotify. And you can, of course, buy the damn thing so that the artist gets paid more than 0.000001 of a cent per stream. Even from these first couple of songs that I mentioned, what is clear is that it's absolutely shocking and stunning to me the amount of material that bands like Dawkins, Cinderella, Def Leppard, and Mock Crew were leaving on the cutting room floor at the time. Um, it, it's a real illustration of just how creative these guys were for a very, you know, specific period of their careers that in some cases carried them through a large amount of their career, but also that 
they would just jettison a lot of this stuff and just move on and move on and keep moving on and maintaining quality for you know most of the 80s really you know just increases my love of these bands i think no answer just it might be my favorite on this album i'm not sure i'm gonna need some more listens but uh let's move on i'm gonna lump all of the back in the street studio songs together we're talking back in the streets itself felony day after day we're going wrong they were all previously available for collectors they've been out on youtube for a long time nearly everyone will have heard them so just quickly felony is one of my favorite early docking tracks uh, primarily the version off the Career album, but this one, it's obviously a demo. So it's got different breakdowns, it's got a different nice time change section, it's got a slower tempo that makes it, you know, a bit darker than even the version that was on Chains, the Career version, or the remix. So it's an absolute winner. Um, already loved the song, now I love it even more, and I've got another version to go to. So three versions of Felony to choose from? Yeah, and that's just studio. Uh, we're going wrong, and it's fuzz guitar, and this one just shouts pre-W Van Halen all the way through. Give it a listen yourself, decide. Good song. Uh, day After Day, it again boggles the mind how a song like this gets ignored at the time. It's just a beautiful acoustic intro and nice soft ballad, and, with a, and it's got a really, really good understated solo that works perfectly with the song. But again, to walk away from this sort of song just speaks of how the creative process must have been working for these guys at the time. Maybe it didn't fit. Maybe they planned to revisit it later. Never got around to it because other songs came out. I'm glad, you know, it's now getting an official release on a Dawkins album. And then, of course, that old title track, Back in the Streets. It was okay when I first heard it in the late 80s, early 90s. Again, there's a club era Van Halen feel to it, and maybe that's why, you know, they didn't get revisited. Um, Again, there, there are some comparisons between Club Air Van Halen and a lot of that stuff was kind of revisited by them on A Different Kind of Truth and some of this stuff on Dawkins' album. It's good. It's not spectacular, though it does sound very fresh um, how it's been mastered for this release. So you get another fantastic solo to enjoy. Hit and Run sounds authentic. Problem is it sounds a bit muddy. The song truly is a lost gem to me, and it represents all I love about Dawkins in this band. Throughout its numerous incarnations, it's got strong vocals, strong backing vocals and call-outs, um, subtle time changes, driving bass, balance and howling attitude from the guitars and vocals in the right places, and if only it was crisp, but happily I'll take it how it is just because it is that good. It's a really, really good song. Let's go back to the previous release, Back on the Street CP material, and both live versions of Liar and Prisoner are included on Lost Songs. Personally, I would have tacked these onto Conception Live years ago. Uh, I do not like mixing live and studio stuff on the same release, especially when it's primarily revisited demos and archival demos being released. But they're both good, strong songs and performances. <sighs> But, you know, no demo of those to put on. But whatever, they close the album really well. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, that, that rant and thoughts on uh, live and studio at the end of this show before I shut up. Moving on to Rainbows. That's a, it's a moody song that I think could have been revisited for Dysfunctional or even Shadow Life. 
it's somewhat ponderous and melancholy, but it seems to be a fully fledged, uh, fully realized, fully thought out and incredibly mature composition. Again, this one seems to be one of the modern revisits fine. It's absolutely incredible. It works well with Don's voice as is. And uh, I think it's got a really good positive message that people need to listen to today with all we're going through throughout the world. Just remember that behind the clouds, the sun still shines. And that's a great reminder, so thank you, Don. But some of these things I mentioned are why I like digital books and extensive liner notes on albums of this type or any type. And I understand with Don, he may not remember or know or have the details specifically to each track, but I would hope that they're in there. And again, I don't have the physical product yet, and I can only state that I haven't gotten any digital booklets with either of the versions I've downloaded so far. So that may well be corrected on the Japanese version, which I'm waiting for to release, which is a good segue into that Japanese version. In Japan, Lost Songs has been released via, I think, Victor Entertainment and includes a bonus track, which you can hear on Spotify, and it's going under. It's a song that's been out there for you to be able to listen to for years, but it sounds absolutely stunning on the Spotify, you know, digital stream. And according to the liner notes of George's Lost Anthology in 2005, this song was recorded in 1981 during the European Breaking the Chains tour, so it sits neatly between Breaking the Chains and Tooth and Nail. It certainly leans closer to Tooth and Nail in terms of its style and sonics than it does to Breaking the Chains. That's particularly the Carrera sound that they'd uh, gotten originally recording it. So it marries up nicely. It's a great way to end the album. I think it's, it's a better way to end the album. I wish it was on all versions for people who are just finding out about it now. But it's a really strong song and again, boggles the mind say that a lot during this review. Uh, let's get into some of the packaging. Again, I'm just going to have to go off what I have available now and the art. Uh, it's nice to see a beautifully rendered cover image. I think that illustration is absolutely glorious. I love it. It's very eye-catching. It pops and it almost makes me want to buy the LP just to have that in a big 12 by 12 to be able to check out. Let's talk about some formats. I'm still waiting for my CD, as I've mentioned. It does help you when shopping digitally or online to not leave things in your shopping cart, to actually remember to complete your transaction. But I'm getting old. So you got digital on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and I guess all the usual places that people go to listen to music legally online. The LP looks like it's only in black vinyl. But if it's not too late, it would be great to see that in a um, red and yellow. Personal taste again. Nice smudge. Take two things and smush them together. And let me finish on my mini rant about mixing live in studio. Just a, a quick revisit. I am pleased and I'm grateful whenever an artist releases archive material particularly material that's been out in the bootleg world for years, and even more when it's got new stuff for us to enjoy and perhaps add to our appreciation of the band during a particular era. I jokingly told a guy with a long tongue once, thank you for giving me the opportunity to pay you for stuff that I've been enjoying for years. That is how I operate, and I'm glad to be able to do the same with Don that I did with that fella. Um, having enjoyed a lot of this material for a long time. 
As far as docking goes, I would love to see one thing still, and I don't know what the deal is or the details, but for my own collecting goals and efforts, I've never been able to find a K7 or cassette copy of the Carrera edition of Breaking the Chains to do a proper transfer of for my digital listening experience, because then I would obviously master it up to my own preferences sonic-wise for listening um, and have the original mix of the album, which again, I mentioned I prefer. So I would love for Dokken, and I know that they have done Breaking the Chains in recent years, but to reissue it properly in the 1981 format, married with a DVD with remastered audio of 1982 Bremen, which you can go watch on YouTube. That is the sort of stuff I would still really love. And here I am talking about one gift I received from Dokken while talking about the next one I demand to receive from Dokken. They are ungrateful music fan as always, but there we go. But for now, that's it. That's my review of Lost Songs. I don't do ratings. I would just say I think this one, if you're a Dokken fan, is worth adding to your collection. I'm gonna go give it another spin. So for now, thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>